body for volunteering in New South Wales. Grow communities and bring people together through volunteering. Welcome to the Local Legends podcast, where we share stories of untold community spirit. I'm your host, Charlotte Bosler, and today we're joined by Mark Rushton, who'll be sharing his story of founding and evolving Blowfly Cricket and all abilities, sport and community initiative. much for joining us uh, for taking time out of your schedule to talk with us today. Could you start with telling us a bit about yourself, who you are and what you do? Um, I'm a 61 year old male uh, and I've been volunteering in community roles for the best part of 40, 45 years. I set up a organisation called Blowfly Cricket for children and um, adults with autism, intellectual disabilities, special needs and a whole gamut of ment- mental illnesses. Um, it's been going for 14 years now. We're going into our 15th season and I was the founder of that. I continue to be the treasurer. I'm a paraplegic male of 16 years and the pun's intended, yes. Um, I am the legs of the organisation, so I basically do a little bit of everything and lots of mentoring and getting uh, people, volunteers to enjoy themselves volunteering with Blowfly Cricket. We have a lot of kids who um, are now putting their hands up as they reach young adulthood uh, who've been members of our club for many years and they're returning the favour and volunteering in various roles now, which is just fantastic to witness. Yeah, that's great to hear. And mm. so when we get into the story of Blowfly, let's start with BB before Blowfly. Tell me a bit about what was going on in your life and where did your luck change? I'll, I'll talk about my post-disability life, if that's okay. Oh, yeah, of course. And I'm just a bit over 16 years old now in a wheelchair, and it was a catastrophic event to say the least. I'd been off to a chiropractor and... Um, just a humble, uh, innocent mit- manipulation. But unfortunately, things went pear-shaped and I became a incomplete paraplegic as a result of that procedure. It was an incredibly catastrophic event in my life for anyone to endure such a significant disability. I was 45 years of age, been married for the best part of 23 years at the time, um, had fairly my own business set up there in sales and was doing okay. I'd, I'd nursed for over 20 years in different roles in aged care and mental health. And then I became a paraplegic and I tried to work full-time afterwards and just didn't work and even working part-time, it didn't work. After the initial injury, I was in hospital for the best part of 10 weeks and rehab. Wow. And you've lost everything. Like we talk about midlife crisis and males' midlife crisis and there are changes to them and their attitude and so on. Well, I think I bypassed my midlife crisis by about three decades <laughs> in one hit. Yeah. Because I, because I lost everything. Everything was different. I'd lost my income and potential. All of a sudden, I was in the disability support pension getting $18,000 a year rather than a six figure income. So that was significant. The physical disability itself, like if people look at paraplegics or quadriplegics and they see someone sitting in a wheelchair. Yeah. Their legs don't move. And that's about the extent of the thoughts from most people, friends of mine, acquaintances, relatives, you name it. But there's a lot to, more to it than meets the eye. 
you've, you've got the sexual dysfunction, the bladder problems, the bowel problems, because everything from the injury down becomes impaired. This never gets better. Yeah. This just is a lifelong disability for the rest of your life. Yeah. It tends to shorten your longevity quite significantly too. So there's all these changes. So, so when, when you earn money or have, have employment, you go to work what for? Socialisation, feel part of a team, yeah. earning the money, being told how wonderful you are at your job and all this sort of thing. And it makes you feel good. Imagine if you had that all taken away yeah. and it's changed forever. You never get that back. And I've always had a caring nature and an empathic nature and been able to care for people and, and get a lot of pleasure out of it. Even that was taken away from me that I'd never be able to return to nursing, right. even though I, I did want to somewhere down the line return to it, especially mental health nursing because I enjoyed that so much. I suppose my, yeah, my luck changed about three months after I became a paraplegic. No, three months post-discharge. Post yeah. So I was about five months down the line. And every Wednesday I'd practice or being coached at wheelchair tennis. I was an ordinary player. I, I was always good at sports, um, multi-skilled in many sports and, and quite reasonable player. I came along to this wheelchair tennis. I've never played a game of tennis in my life. And I became okay at it type thing and even got a world ranking. Mind you, there was only a world ranking because there's so few people playing it worldwide. For goodness sake, that's the only reason. But it, was about, <laughs> it was about 185, which I was quite proud of. But this particular Wednesday, I'd just been for a coffee with a mate of mine at Warunga in a cafe, and I'm driving back home towards Hornsby. I lived down the road from Hornsby Hospital, and there was this white sedan at the stop sign in front of me, uh, stoplight, sorry, and there was these um, young guys, yahooing type thing, <laughs> yeah. and they were hitting each other in a back seat and whacking each other around the ears, as young blokes tend to muck around type thing. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, they took off and went around the corner, three notes went out, out the window. Oh. And I thought, that's money. Yeah. <laughs> Goodness gracious. <laughs> Mate, I was trapped for cash, believe me. I wasn't earning anything except for the pension. So I was a bit concerned because I was following him that if I pulled over, they might think, oh, he's going to take our money if they noticed it had flown out the window. Yeah. So I went up to the intersection, turned around, did a Yui, and went back and got out of my chair and found a $20 note and a $10 note and a $5 note. Yeah. Which was $35. And that was so significant that I actually took a photo of myself sitting in the gutter yeah. with with $35 in notes in my hand up against the front caster of my wheelchair. I thought, oh, I must keep that photo. I'll use it one day. Yeah. One day I'd like to write a book, which would be called $35, mind you. But um, I went back home and I was still with my wife at the time and she said that's the first time your luck's turned since you became a paraplegic. I was so happy. I went off to wheelchair tennis coaching that afternoon, paid me $28 for the coaching lesson and had enough change for two cappuccinos. And I was so happy. And I was talking to the coach, who's also a paraplegic, and he was saying, gosh, I told him the story. Yeah. And he said, I thought you found thousands of dollars the way you were carrying on. But no, mate, $35, that's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, that, was, that was the good luck, the first good luck from being disabled yeah that's fantastic and thank you so much for sharing that story i think it's really good to hear and i good to know that you can be driving down the street one day and your luck can change um just like that that's right. um yeah. so i think that's really uplifting um so then when we fast forward to the origins of blowfly 
you were having a conversation with one of your friends about his son. Is that right? Yes, yeah. Um, Jason, the, my mate, a scuba diving mate, he's a giant of a man. He's got a plaited ponytail, which goes all the way down to his, um, how can I say it politely, backside, bottom. <laughs> anyway, long way. Then he's got a beard, which goes all the way down to his belly button, and his wife plaits that as well. He's covered in tattoos, and he's a giant of a guy. Mm. But he's a gentle giant. He's such a wonderful man. I think it was a second summer 2009 it was 2009 no 2008 the first summer when he came around to my place and he wanted a barbecue so we put on a barbecue and he brought his profoundly autistic son Jacob uh his older daughter Courtney and his wife yeah I was told at the time that that was the first time they'd had a family function away from home with someone who wasn't family and it it was an ultimate compliment I spoke to my wife and I said, we've really got to keep Jacob entertained because I'll stay most of the day. They'll really enjoy coming over. So we set up a bucket and a little squidgy type thing or glass cleaning squidgy thing and um, set it up for him because they had all these glass balustrades and pool fencing and he sat there most of the day cleaning the windows because he, he liked to play with water. So his father said, but after the barbecue at mid-afternoon was... We're sitting on a big sandstone boulder at home and uh, we're having a beer and having a chat and Jason said to me one of the saddest things in his life is that his profoundly autistic son will never play sports. But mind you, Rushton, we hate sport. We don't like it at all, mm. but he's never going to get that opportunity. Yeah. He's not going to get the opportunity of being in concerts and choirs. He won't even get invited to his friends, mainstream friends' birthday parties or out on a date and things like that. Yeah. And I said I said to him at the time, because I've always been in, involved in cricket for many decades now, I said, mate, I can just see it now, all these autistic kids running out onto the Sydney cricket ground in front of 40,000 people in the lunch break of the next Ashes test. Yeah. The club on the whole has done that five times now, and what an experience for them. And they do go out there, and the first couple of times they went out there, they went with all these earbuffs headphones on type thing to drown out the noise because on a sensory level it's too distracting too distressing for them we had uh, one of the kids go down who's now been with us for eight years he got spooked by the i don't know if you've seen a spider cam at sporting events mm. where it goes over on this wire type thing this big camera and it goes close to the ground and then zooms back up type thing he thought that was an alien <laughs> no way and ran for his life, screaming off the off the Sydney cricket ground in front of forty thousand people, screaming with his poor dad chasing after him, saying, "Come back, come back!" Yeah. The next year we got invited to go down again. Poor Mark, he he said, "No, I'm not going anywhere near there. They've got UFOs there." There. And it was three years later. He came to me and said, "I'm I'm ready to go back now because I understand. I only imagined it was a UFO and it wasn't a real alien." Yeah. Yeah. But to see that, it it really opened my eyes to um, the extent that these uh, intellectual disabilities are. Mm. Besides, quite naive, even though I've worked in nursing for the best part of 20 years, I knew nothing about intellectual disabilities or special needs or disabilities. Like I learned a lot as a paraplegic what it's like to be frightened 24 hours a day, what it's like to be anxious and worrying about this and to be in the most incredible pain. But apart from my story, I knew nothing about intellectual disabilities. And to learn things from these kids and families has been maybe one of the best things 
in my life ever. Yeah, mm. and that's amazing that there's been, mm. you know, a learning experience as well as helping these kids have a sporting experience. I guess yeah. it's interesting how a conversation with a friend over a barbecue mm. can turn into a 15-year or 15-match community run organization that's fantastic mm-hmm. um what well, is coming up to 15 years yeah it's, it's sorry to interject but um it's been absolutely wonderful and and when i first set it up a lot of people said to me um where are you going with this come on you must have an idea and i go well i don't know much about the cohort all i know is that this is a cohort that misses out in life. They just miss out everywhere. And I refer back to Jason's discussion or honesty in uh, saying to me, um, his son will never be invited to a mainstream birthday party. Like we take it for granted that these things. I remember about six or seven years ago, we did a program in a special needs school out at Mount Pritchard at the Least Power School. And it was a year when the, um, well, what's the end of year schools concert? What do they call that on TV? They, oh. they have it. Yes. Well, whatever it's yep. called anyway. And it, anyway, for the first time they had the kids with special needs invited to participate in their own section type thing. Yeah. So they were part of it. But the thing that stays in my mind is that one of the teachers was telling me that they had to book in to stay overnight in Darling Harbour in a B-grade motel. You know, you right. and I or most people walk in and go, gosh, this place isn't that wonderful, is it? Mm. And this is what the teacher said to me and she's saying, but one of the kids who's largely nonverbal, one of the girls turned around and said, this is a palace. This is the best place I've ever been to in my life. It's, it's, a, it's a perspective. What we think is a bit run down, these kids, it's such an experience. And like, like I said, I just learn so much from these kids all the time and young adults. And our, our play fly cricketers are getting older. Like they're in their mid-20s now, <laughs> early 20s, and just fantastic. Yeah, that's amazing. And I guess why did you feel called not to to listen and to care, but to make that action and to make an all-inclusive sporting opportunity? Because I think I, I had a tough childhood, really tough childhood, and I had, um, I suppose, later in life, a very tough life with a disability, and it does make me very sick. I get recurrent infections but I just wanted to give a group something that was not available. To my knowledge, there are no all-ability, all inclusive community grassroots clubs anywhere else. We, we're run by people with disabilities for kids and adults with disabilities. And on the intellectual, um, on the autism spectrum disorder, the ASD, I don't think there's anything similar to what we do. Some people have asked me, why did we choose the name Blowfly? That's because I had no idea what I, what needed to be done with Blowfly Cricket to make it work. And I rang one of my friends who set up a soccer program for kids with intellectual disabilities. And I said, Dave, I know you hate cricket, but um, I need your help to set something up for kids with autism because I don't know anything. And he came up with the idea that they all need a whistle. Yeah to for when it was their turn to roll the ball or to bowl the ball or throw the ball, whatever they did in their funny little actions, um, that they would blow the whistle first and it would get everyone's attention. No one would know what we were going to do, but it did get everyone's attention when the whistle was blown. Then I said to them, mate, we, we need something that they can see too because I reckon they should 
uh, even if they're being chaperoned by a carer or a parent in helping them to run down the pitch after they hit the ball or miss the ball, whatever, we should put a big blowfly on the other end and then we can call it blowfly cricket. Yeah. Because the fly on the stumps, that, that gets swatted on the way through with the cricket bat and we make a lot of noise and the blow part of it is a whistle. So that's yeah. where we got the name blowfly cricket from. It was visual and auditory cues. Yeah, yeah. and that's amazing. And I guess that yeah. ties into my next question was tell me about blowfly cricket. How do you play it and how have you made it kind of inclusive for all abilities? Well, blowfly cricket uh, is like a huge game of backyard cricket in the middle of a um, cricket field. It's played with modified equipment or that. They've all got their own wooden bats now for years I didn't want them to have wooden bats because I was a little bit concerned someone will get donged on the head with a wooden bat, but we don't see that level of behaviour at Playfly Cricket. So they've all got their own wooden bats now. We play for plastic balls as people that get, get hurt if they get hit by it or so on. We, we started off initially where it was very rigid, where it was just a clock face fielding position or field set, and then people would rotate their positions. Everyone would have a turn at batting. And if they miss the ball or hit the ball, they had to run no matter what. So they were exercising at the same time. Yeah. Um, everyone would get a turn at bowling even if they can't bowl. But now what we've got is uh, we developed a program called The Uncoachables Coaching the Uncoachables. Okay. And this was set up because I was president of the local um, Hornsby Kurengai Hills District Cricket Association at the time. And I <laughs> suggested to the executive that Blowfly Cricket, we need to set it up. We need to support it. It's great for the association. It's the future. It, we're, we're years ahead of everyone else type thing, and they weren't interested. And in fact, um, I won't mention the person's name or position, but a senior member on the executive said, these kids are too difficult to coach. They're relatively uncoachable. We don't have the resources. We don't have the funds or anything. And that really stuck in my mind because I said, oh, well, Buggy, <laughs> yep. Uh, I'll set it up myself, and we'll run Robinson Crusoe. We don't need the association. What we need is support in to get initial grants up and running to get us above board type thing, and then we're on our own. Anyway, um, I kept that in the back of my mind, and then I noticed that um, some of the kids were in, in improving quite a lot. And back in those days, it cost us one hundred and twenty dollars to do the Cricket Australia accredited level one coaching course. So we used to get a player or two to do a coaching course uh, and then they could help run the centre type thing and do a bit of coaching. Yeah. All of a sudden I realised that all of the kids were interested in becoming coaches and they're, they're the uncoachables mm. putting their hand up to coach. So, of course, there's a program. Well, the, it's an academy now. It's called the Uncoachables Coaching the Uncoachables. And we've got 32 members in there who are Level 1 community coaches, uh, Cricket Australia accredited, which is a phenomenal number. And we get these kids to volunteer to go and coach at various places like um, Sony Camps at St Andrews College. Uh, do you know what the Sony Camps are? Uh, I don't think so. No, tell me. Okay. Sony Foundation sponsor uh, children's holiday camps for children. Uh, up to the age of 14 in um, um, four-day four camps and they're free of charge to the parents. Uh, they're held in private schools and universities around the country. To my knowledge, I think there's 31 across Australia. 
we, we got approached by the group at St Andrews College at um, University of Sydney a few uh, back in 2015. So we've been going there on an annual basis every year, putting on a free clinic. We also donate equipment kit and other catching equipment, um, and we just put on this free clinic. But we send our uncoachables, coaching the uncoachables yeah. members along to do the coaching. So they go down. Um, we've also got a program set up in Abox, which is Abbotsley College and Knox, so the boys, boys and girls schools. They join forces and put it together. And also in PLC, Pimbles Ladies College and Shaw College, they share one as well, so we go there as well. About six years ago, we even went down to Melbourne to a place called Scotch College, Hawthorne okay. in Victoria. We took six blowfly cricketers, six uncoachable coaches with us for an overnight stay to put on their own inclusive coaching clinic at this um, school holidays children's camp. And it worked so well. The uh, lady who organised it, Margie, came up to me and said, Mark, this is so inclusive. You and the other volunteers haven't done anything. The kids have ran it all themselves and look at the reaction on our kids. And I got a letter back uh, a couple of months later just reinforcing the inclusive nature of what we've done. We, we do these sorts of things for our kids to empower them, to give them a sense of achievement, um, self, self-respect self and belief in themselves. And it's just fantastic to watch them grow and mature. This year we even went to the extent of um, in one of our centres for 5- to 12-year-old kids, we got a couple of the uncoachables to be the centre coordinator and the assistant centre coordinator and left them to it to run their own centre which they did. Mm. The first three or four weeks, I think I would have got about 20 phone calls and messages each Wednesday afternoon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, and and it was all problem solving. So I didn't panic. I just mentored from a distance and said, try this Akanksha, do this and do that and see what happens. Let me know how it goes. And she used to send me these lovely messages at the end of every session saying how it went point by point by point. By the end of the season, I never heard from her. Yeah. So she'd mastered it. Yeah. And I, I remember when I asked her to do it, you could tell she was really nervous and really anxious. And uh, her dad kindly told me, he referred me to tell me, saying, you know, Akanksha was so nervous. But we just said, Mark has all the confidence in the world in, with you. If he thinks you can do this, you can do this. And that's what gave her the confidence to do it. So to see these kids, and we, we do a lot of um, Bunnings barbecues as well every four weeks at Thornley and wonderful support from Bunnings. And we get between 20 and 35 volunteers each barbecue. 60% of our volunteers are now blowfly cricketers who are volunteering and or family members. When we first started, we were lucky to get two out of 20 volunteers. Wow. associated with the club. Wow. Otherwise, they were all friends of mine type thing. Now it's it's done the full cycle type thing, 180-degree turn, and they're looking after their own club because I always say to this is your club, not mine. Yes. I'm the legs of the organisation, mind you, the wheels, but, um, <laughs> but it's your club. And to see them taking ownership of their club is just fantastic. Last year I um, was giving the female club captain a lift to the centre we have on Fridays at Jewel. And as we pulled up to the ground, the car park, she said, Mark, you know, Blayfly Cricket's my safe place. It's where I feel accepted, non-judged, mm. and I have a really good time and I'm with my friends. Yeah. 
it, it almost made me cry to hear that. That's Blue Fly Cricket's her safe place? Goodness gracious. Like, and this is what I tried to think of in a piece. I have no idea where this club is going or how inclusive it will become because it just hasn't been done before. Mm, mm. Mm. We've got we've got our members uh, in key roles in on the management committee. We've got them taking on centre coordinator roles at the Bunnings Barbecue. That's right, I was, going, I was there for a while. We now have some of the kids cooking for hundreds of people type thing at the barbecue and, and then we have them serving the public and it's just lovely to hear them saying, oh, enjoy your sausage sandwich or having a chat. What are you doing today? What are your plans for today? And some of these kids have been nonverbal and they mature and become more confident and talk for the first time at Blowfly Cricket or socialise in amongst their own cohort. It's their club and they have a really, really good time. I feel I'm the most fortunate person in the world a lot of the time to be exposed to something like this. And I had to become paraplegic to find the time to manage it. Yeah, and it's it's great to hear the the passion and the impact that, you know, having the support seems to be having on mm. you and on the organisation and on the kids who get involved. But yeah, so speaking about those volunteers who have been supporting the blowfly cricket what is it meant to have volunteers supporting the organization like you've had this idea to create a supportive all-inclusive project initiative and people in the community are rallying behind that like how does that feel it makes me incredibly proud and very humble i didn't think people would be interested in volunteering but we seem to get our volunteers and i, I look at the 2001 to 2019 volunteering across the country dropped off quite significantly. From 2019 to 2021 with the pandemic, it dropped off even further. We've, we continue to get more and more volunteers every year and taking on more and more roles and volunteering at Blowfly Cricket's a little bit different. We, we have 101 roles, of course, there's different things to do, but the people who take the time to volunteer with the kids, with the young adults, they get so much out of it and they enjoy it so much and um, I get them to write their stories because we will do a volunteering profile in the newsletter which comes out every week in summer and once a month in winter and we write about why they started volunteering. You know what the buggers say to me? Because Mark told me to. <laughs> and I think, hold on, hold on. <laughs> sure, that's fine, but... <laughs> And they talk about initially, I'll digress a bit, when many volunteers when they first come to play fly cricket are actually quite shocked and challenged on a, I suppose, an emotional and a spiritual level mm. or psychological level because they see these young people with disabilities and I've heard far too often the comments are, there can't be a God, look at this. And I sit down with this, this person because I always sit down with a new volunteer over a coffee afterwards to debrief and welcome them and so mm. on. And I say, did you see anyone there unhappy? And they go, no, they all had a good time. I said, what's the problem? You can't wipe the smile off the face. It's like people come there to have a good time. And the volunteers, once they get used to the behaviours, which can be challenging and confronting at times, but the fact that they're all looking after each other and playing together and having so much fun on a sports field is just 
It's moving for anyone, anyone who sees it. There was a lady in her 70s came to me at James Park last summer and she said, who, who is this group? Can you tell me? And I told her a little bit about Bayfly Cricket. She said, my goodness, I've never seen so many people on a sports field. We get 50 or 60 people out there at once. You're meant to have 11, 13 people out on a cricket field, not 50 or 60. Anyway, she said, I've never seen so many people having so much fun and laughing and squealing and screaming out loud, loudly with glee so, so ever before. Can I donate to your organisation? I gave her the link to the Australian Sports Foundation project. She donated $100. Wow. And I, it just blows me away. Here's someone just walking a dog around a field on a leash and blown away by it. And we, we see things like that all the time. Yeah, so there's an impact on the broader community even if they're not fully aware yes. or involved in Blowfly. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we talk about the broader community and I always said we need the cricket community and our local community to support us to the hilt for this to work. Otherwise, it's never going to work. Mm. And we have the, the local bakery. We have a local caring agency. We have um, um, a plan manager through NDIS, my plan manager. They all sponsor us for significant amounts of money. And it's just fantastic to see it. And we're also fortunate to receive a high percentage of grants that we apply for because we seem to tick all the boxes. Yeah, and that's awesome. And, you know, I think clearly it's very uh, promising that people are responding so well and they want to support this initiative in terms of, you know, so the kids have this opportunity to socialise, they have this opportunity to be included. What other changes do you notice in the kids who play blowfly cricket? Leadership something I um, haven't mentioned a lot of, uh, but we set up a leadership group and we keep on expanding on this leadership group every year and we give them significant roles to do and they basically run the whole club at whichever centre they are. Uh, I'll give you an example. Our, uh, the kid that I set the program up for, Jacob, yeah. he became our inaugural life member after 10 years yeah. and it was just fantastic. And last year we introduced him or um, invited him to be part of the leadership group and Jacob's conversation is limited um, and his cricket ability is limited. His family hate cricket, but they drive 100 kilometres either way every Saturday in summer for him to play blowfly cricket. 100 kilometres either way. Work that out. Anyway, we gave him a leadership role and his first official duty was to present one of our volunteers with a volunteer medal. And Sir Jacob, I call him Sir Jacob because he loves the medieval era and all that sort of yeah. thing. So we call him Sir Jacob. And Sir Jacob gets a lanyard to put over the head of the volunteer and at the last second he said, no, it's for me, and put it over his head. And James Partridge, the volunteer, he was so switched on, he just shook Jacob's hand and said, oh, congratulations, <laughs> Jacob. It was just priceless. And, and I'll talk a little bit about Jacob too. He's um, play acts a little bit. Mm. He's a big boy. He's a big unit. He's about 130 kilos and about six foot five and and a giant of a kid. Anyway, he gets hit on the legs by this plastic ball, mm. which wouldn't even hurt him type thing. Believe me, it wouldn't hurt him. About 40 or 50 seconds later, he goes, ouch, <laughs> <laughs> which, which just floors everyone on the field and they all burst out laughing. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's all very funny stuff. Yeah. Mm. And it's, it is, for me on a personal level, it's incredibly rewarding. I love to see people do 
do well and I always raise the bar for people on an individual level and a group level and to see people trying their best and achieving their somewhere near their potential or going apart going beyond what their potential was considered is just fantastic like these are monumental experiences for me and and gives me so much personal satisfaction and happiness it's yeah and that's amazing how there's it benefits so many people you know everyone who's involved is benefiting and I guess the parents must enjoy it in some way can you tell me a bit more about like what Blowfly does for the parents and for the community who come the the parents are blown away by it to be quite honest I'll give you an example Um, one of our families has three out of four children with fragile X which is a genetic uh, form of autism or cause of autism. The youngest, the, the second youngest son is the most severe autistic of the family. And he is, to quote his dad last Sunday at the Bunnings barbecue, he's a sloth at home. I hear the word sloth said about many of our blowfly cricketers by family members. They all, all seem to refer to their kids as sloths because right. they're a bit lazy. And I'm not doing much at home. Now, Ryan is, um, I think he's about eight years old now. He comes along to volunteer with his siblings. No one no one in their family plays blowfly cricket anymore on a regular basis, but they come to 90% of our barbecues to volunteer. It's the four kids. Now, Ryan, who is a sloth, he comes along and he's diligent and motivated and talks to me in this funny little voice. I had about 20 jars of marmalade to sell at the barbecue the other week because I make those at home for fundraising. And he helped me get every label onto the jars. He helps me to set up the volunteer raffles and write out the tickets. He unwraps all the money coins for the petty cash float type thing. And he does all these other jobs too while he's there. And his dad said to me, you know, Mark, he's never like this at home. He's never enthusiastic about anything but when the barbecue's on, he's up at 4 o'clock and getting ready for the barbecue, which doesn't start to 8.30 type thing. And to hear, and I've heard that a hundred times over the years from different parents. Um, I'll give you an example of a kid who's just finished his um, construction um, entry card. I think they call it a white white card. Yeah. And, and he did that somehow, and, and his mum was so proud of him. But she says, Chris gets up at 5 o'clock on Saturday mornings to come to Blowfly Cricket because he loves it so much and he's dressed in his uniform mm. uh, his uniform by 6 o'clock ready to go champing at the bit. We don't start till 1.30. <laughs> and it's just absolutely fantastic to hear things like that. These kids, like I said, they miss out on so much but we've given them not just a sport, their sport, but we've given them something to build their confidence and their self-esteem. And the the ripple effect to the broader community is fantastic. I, we, we see less meltdowns. We see improved sleep patterns. We see better behaviours, better, better self-containment, um, I suppose, uh, less impulsive uh, acting out. And this, in turn, not only benefits our immediate community, the Blowfly Cricket community or the local community, but the mental health services too. We have less hospitalisations, less reliance on major psychotropics to contain behaviours. 
I don't know what, what why it works so well, but for some reason it just works. Yeah, and so if we sum it up, the kids benefit, the parents benefit, yeah. the community and the volunteers who get involved benefit, the community who aren't aware of it, and the medical services, they benefit. And it sounds like, you know, you enjoy it as well. I've got a tough question. What are some of your proudest achievements? Setting up blowfly cricket is my proudest achievement. <laughs> um, just to create something out of nothing is is wonderful. And to see it succeed and to see it grow and develop and become so holistic in its approach, yeah, that's my proudest achievement. It's, it's just wonderful. And to be able to inspire other people onto bigger and better deeds too, I know people look at what I do given the nature of my disability and people inspired by that. Mm. And that's a really nice thought to have in my head at times. Yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely. And mm. I think a lot of people hearing these kinds of stories and hearing a st your story and the story of Blowfly Cricket, it, it gives them mm. license to think, well, what can they do in the community? How can they make their community more inclusive? How can they, mm. you know, make a difference in the way that you and Blowfly are making a difference in the community? Uh, if we go back to, mm. you know, your inaugural um, champion, Jacob, um, where is he now? So Jacob is um, still living at home. He'll live at home forever, but he's made monumental gains at Blowfly Cricket. I'll, I'll give you an example of where he came from. It took him the best part of four years to get out of the front seat of the car and to sit, get off the park bench watching. Yeah. And finally he joined in and his father was cooking the barbecue, so he used to hover around the barbecue. And then one year, the next year, he finally hit a ball. And I still remember that I can see the photo in front of me. It's not here, but figuratively. And his mum's grabbing his arm, almost ripping it out of the shoulder, saying, run, Jacob, run. <laughs> <laughs> but he hit the ball now. Now he can bowl a ball and he can hit a ball and he can field a ball and he loves it and he he just, no one needs to encourage him to join in. He just joins in by himself. His father, who, again, hates cricket, hates sport, gets there 45 minutes early every Saturday so he can do some throwdowns to his son in the cricket to get him settled and in the mood type thing. This It's had a huge impact on the family. The, the older daughter, Courtney, um, years ago, five, six, seven years ago, she wrote me a note to thank me for creating Jacob's Sport. Has it surprised you that it's gone on for this long and that it's had this impact? Like, were you expecting that or? I wasn't expecting anything. My expectations were, oh, my goodness, everyone's telling me this won't work. The experts are telling me to make it a very quiet, peaceful, serene type thing. Um that's not my personality at all. I'm, I'm quite noisy and quite gregarious and put me on a sports field and you'll never hear a noisier person. So it was never going to work. So I went down a path that I thought would work, which is fun, noise, laughter, and let's see what happens. And it's working so well. I'll, I'll give you an example of how... Have you have you played sport, Charlie? A little bit, yeah, <laughs> a couple of years ago, but yeah. If someone said to you, I want you to catch this ball, a coach would say to you, you've got to look at the ball, it comes into your hands, you watch it in your hands, you cup your hands and you catch it. It took our, cl our club four years before the first kid held a catch hit above their head. 
Yeah. Headbutt. Do you know why that is? Why? Because the kid, if something's falling from the sky, you're in danger. So you cover your head. Yes. <laughs> and that's what all our kids used to do. And then one Saturday afternoon, one of the kids, Ronnie, our, our male club member, he actually caught the ball, hit above head height the first time. It's like the whole world erupted as if they'd won the World Cup. They're all running around, pantomime, chaos, cheering, screaming out, and the parents joined them. The next week someone else caught it. And again, the same reaction. They're running around the field, holding the ball aloft as if they'd just won a World Cup type thing. Just fantastic. And now they coach their own programs and run their own centres and it's it's just wonderful to see. Yeah, and thank you. That's I think, yeah, I mean, yeah. it probably would feel like a grand tournament, you know, to have that experience. Yes. It's amazing yeah. and a testament to the community that you've helped build around it. What advice do you have for people who might want to start a project that is inclusive like this and, you know, finding the volunteers and having an idea that, you know, is sustainable, what advice would you give to someone? Feed, feed the masses. Okay. After every session, we have a complimentary barbecue and they get a bottle of water and that's for the parents as well. The reason I set that up, I actually spoke to the Respiters, Commonwealth Respite Association. I said, I want to put in something to bring people together so that the parents can network with each other because They'll want to talk to someone who's an expert with children with disabilities. I'm not the expert, so I can't give them any advice. But if they network and talk to each other, they'll be able to help each other and develop friendships and a club, a community of, of their own. And from there, with a little bit of luck every now and again, I'll put a bit of pressure on someone and say, hey, I need a volunteer to do this. Can you actually cook the barbecue for me? Can you do this for me, please? And being in a wheelchair and and polite and relatively uh, articulate, it works. Yeah. And people do want to help me do things because they don't want to see me doing everything because it's just too much for me and that's probably too much for any one individual. And that's how we get our volunteers early in the piece of parents, the siblings, the aunties and uncles and grandparents. They become volunteers, which then teaches their kids the art of volunteering. Yeah, awesome. So, do you how do you know roughly how many of your volunteers come from those sausage sizzles? We we have over one hundred and fifty volunteers. I would say would have twenty percent would be there. Out of out of our uh, members, did you know that across Australia in all sports, fourteen percent are females. Fourteen percent. Wow. That's eighty six percent of males. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> now. 50, 51% of our population, give or take a few hundred thousand, are females, 49% are males. There's something wrong when there's only 14% playing a sport. Yes. Why is this so? At Blowfly Cricket, 55% of our members are females. Awesome. 80%, 80% of our management committee are females because I set up a club where I wanted to respect women and females as an important part of a community sport. Too many community sports, um, we turn our back on the importance of women and females in it. We're fortunate to have a lot of great women and great girls out. One of our 17-year-old volunteers this year won a trifecta of major awards, the New South Wales um, Young Volunteer of the Year. Then she won the Cricket Australia Young Volunteer of the Year. 
and then she won the New South Wales Community Sports Young Person of the Year Award as well, Trifecta. And she came to me early, uh, middle of last year, wanting this program to get up and running. It was her baby, still is her baby. And she wanted to go into public schools where they have the support classes or specialised classes and offer a four-week cricket program to them. I said, wonderful idea. And from there, she won these major awards, which is fantastic. And she's a 17-year-old volunteer who has this idea. So with our volunteers, we have to respect them like we respect our employees because they are our employees, but they're unpaid employees. And it doesn't matter whether we're 87 years old or whether we're 17 or 8 years old we still have a voice which needs to be listened to. Yeah, and that's great advice. Thank you for sharing that. And I guess my last question for you is, if someone wants to get involved in Blowfly, how can they get involved? What can they do? Give me a call, 0401 743 747. And we've also, there's lots of videos on the website on Blowfly Cricket and um, some great stories there too. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. Uh, and thank you so much for joining us today. I really enjoyed talking to you and I wish you and Blowfly and all the community involved the very best. Thank, thank you. you so much. It's been a blast. You've been listening to Voices of Volunteering, presented by the Centre for Volunteering. For resources, tools, training and news, head over to our website, volunteering.com.au.